You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 332 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood. Gentlemen. Good afternoon. How you doing? It's, it's the beginning of May. It's going to be May. It's already no, May. No? Nobody? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Not really. I don't have the fever, I guess, is yeah. the response there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're now in a new month. It uh, feels like any other month. <laughs> March 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's like March uh, 383rd. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, we have some follow-up from last week. So Canadian uh, airlines are giving refunds now. Yeah. Um, I know Foz had mentioned he was having some trouble getting his form submitted. I wanted to throw a couple more data points out there. Uh, one of our listeners, Brian, mentioned that he had submitted his, and he actually was able to successfully get his Air Canada uh, thing submitted and actually got the refund within like 10 days or so. So if you can get it su- submitted, the money is showing up, which is nice to see. Um, and... Uh, is it WestJet? Is it WestJet or Transat? Uh, sorry, Transat uh, has signed a deal with the Canadian government to get the necessary loan slash payment, whatever. Uh, it's a funding agreement. So the Canadian government is also now bailing out uh, Transat refunds, much like the Air Canada ones. So for folks who are pending with Air Transat uh, monies that were tied up in vouchers, uh, airtransat.com slash refunds is where you want to be. Have you had any other luck, Foz? No, not yet. I have to call, but apparently mine might not qualify because when you read the rules they laid out, that you had to have a ticket that they canceled, basically. And I had a ticket they canceled, but it was an open credit at the time. But when all this stuff happened, hmm. so I have to call and see what the situation, what the deal is. Oh, interesting. Always got to read those rules. I figure I'll just book something for like July and expect it to get canceled, anyways. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. So. Um. The other follow-up we have is we actually have a listener who is a tug driver, and we spoke about tugs last week. Yeah, um, slightly randomly. So I don't remember why Super Tugs came up, um, but moving air, moving the planes around on the field. And uh, Steve, one of our listeners, uh, wants to clarify that there are uh, Lekros, L-E-K-R-O-S, is a type of tug, and then Super Tug. And I guess Super Tug is a brand name. Mm. Um, and... So those are the Lecros are the smaller model are smaller. They uh, carry or tow around aircraft up to about 757 size. Uh, the Super Tugs wrap a cradle around the nose gear um, rather than uh, doing it the other way. But the Lecros are also uh, the battery powered ones. So that's an interesting. It was just an interesting uh, situation. Um, and I think, sort of I think this came up. I think this came we up. Talking we were electric, talking about right? yeah, electric tugs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's. I, I was going to say, I actually have a a plug a video of mine. I have a video from O'Hare back in 2019, maybe early 2020, where a tug is struggling to push back a 777. And some people have told me it's because the clutch is probably going bad on the tug and it can't get a grip. Uh, in the transmission, but I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case. So I would love if Steven would give us some feedback on that. I've got an email for him. Maybe we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, and we can put the video in the show notes, but it's, it's hilarious to watch. Cause I, I even posted an Instagram story about the little tug that couldn't. So, <laughs> um, but he did also mention that, uh, if the aircraft is under control, so that such that no one needs to be inside the aircraft, like the APU mm-hmm. isn't powered on, that it is true that they can operate without someone in the cabin versus ne- potentially needing someone on the flight deck. So that is a factor. Um, hmm. sometimes as well yeah, so yeah. 
anyway, because you don't need you don't need a brake rider is what they call it. You don't gotcha. need someone who can hit the brakes if it breaks loose. Because in theoretical in theory, it's being sort of permanently. You, you, when you grab onto the nose gear, you've grabbed on full control. It's not a pin that can break on a tow bar. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is why this is why it's great to have listeners that that do this stuff for a living. I, I'm amazed that we have someone who actually works in the industry. <laughs> I'm amazed that we have listeners <laughs> at all. Only on Tuesdays. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you know, I actually had a conversation with someone on Twitter, not a listener, but uh, we've talked about him before. He's the the gentleman who uh, ferries planes all over. Oh yeah. Uh, and he's fa- he was ferrying planes to Australia, and so I had asked the question. I was like, "Well, do you? How does this work with you know COVID restrictions? And do you have to quarantine?" He said, "They just do. They stay on the. They basically get on a plane. They they don't even they they get right on wing another t- plane. Wingtip transfers. Yeah, they just go straight to the next flight and move on, and no yeah. quarantine." He's uh, Steve is his name, right? JTT yeah. Steve. Yep. Yeah, he uh, he's done that in a couple countries where they do a wing trip transfer. They get close enough uh, into a place that doesn't have. S- ultra strict requirements or, you know, whatever. And then basically private jet in or out transfer across the apron. And it's, you know, exceptions being made for special circumstances because these planes have to move between the countries. Um, and there's a lot of paperwork involved, I assume, but, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll fly in and like, you know, and they set it up so that whatever, wherever they're coming to or from the, the private jet, you know, pilot can also do the round trip and whatever. And, you know, the flight times all work, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, the logistics around moving planes right right now during COVID is pretty crazy. It's not simple in the best of times, and now it's just insane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, on to today's topics. Seth, you flew on an inaugural. I did. I mean, this, we, we don't even talk about that. We haven't talked about an inaugural in who knows how long. What the hell's an inaugural? <laughs> and there were two last week. I really? I did one of them. Yeah. So uh, JetBlue had its inaugural A220 passenger flight, uh, and Avello had its inaugural actual operations. They launch service uh, two days later and I was going to actually I actually briefly considered doing both um, JetBlue was on Monday from Boston to Tampa and then Avella was Burbank to Santa Rosa California which is uh, Napa Valley right uh, in on Wednesday and Tuesday travel day in theory I could have made it out to LA to do it but I would have needed to take the red eye home Wednesday night so I could be home for my vaccination shot on Thursday and decided that it wasn't worth it so yeah I, I get that you know, I, I you know, emerge, I, I consider domestic red eyes emergency use only. And <laughs> inaugural flight wasn't it. <laughs> so how was JetBlue? Uh, it's nice. It's a JetBlue plane. So right, if you've and if you've been on their retrofit planes, which is either the newer A three twenty ones or the retrofit A three twenties, it looks very similar. Bigger, brighter screen. Uh, it's a three two layout because it's an A two twenty. That's the thirty two inch pitch and coach and thirty five inch and the even more legroom seats. Big windows that the A220 has. There is no window in the bathroom in the back uh, for those thinking. But and the main reason for that is that instead of on Delta, they put the bathroom in front of the galley or in front of the exit door. In on JetBlue, they put the bathrooms behind the galley or not behind the galley, behind the exit doors, like shared in the galley. So it's almost like the Space Flex design, but it's technically not, technically not called that because it's not on the A320 family. Um, but it's at one point I think I texted someone to be like. This trip is kind of boring, and I'm really, really happy about that, right? Like, nothing crazy happened on board, which, given the number of people who were there just for the flight, I want to say probably of the... I was booked to about 100 and... I was booked to 90, and then 20 non-revs cleared at the end on a 140-seat plane. And of the 90 bookings, I want to say probably 40 or 50 were there for the flight. Oh, wow. 
So it, a lot of potential for things to go crazy um, and stupid. And for the good news is that it didn't happen that way. <laughs> um, so I was very happy in my window seat, enjoying the experience, but also not too interactive with everybody just because I'm, I'm just not, still not sure how people behave. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, it's the A220. I, I've only flown on it once. I flew on it to Zurich to Prague. And I got to say the two, two, three, two seating is probably the biggest selling point to me. I love it. Two, three. Like it. Yeah, two, three, three, two. Two, yeah, three, two, whatever it is. Two, two, three, yeah. It's not two, three, two, though, because that would be incredible. Yes. Uh, but I like that two, three seating. I like the fact that I'm, you know, it's, you know, if you're just flying with you and, you know, a partner or a friend, uh, you got the two seats and, you know. So is that better than two, two seating on the Embraers? I feel like the cabin on the A220 feels bigger. I mean, it is bigger, right? But it feels bigger, too. Yeah. I, and I'm not me. sure what the answer is, but I, I, I see, I understand what you're saying. And it, I obviously it is bigger because of the diameters and whatever, just the dimensions, but is it bigger enough that it justifies that extra middle seat? I, it's, that's one of the things that people who are super happy with the E nineties at JetBlue were worried about is, but now there's a middle seat and like, you know, now you've got game theory of, do you take a seat on the three side and hope no one shows up? Or do you take the two side and, you know, sort of, you're more likely to have a neighbor, but at least you only, you know, you're only going to have one neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. True. It's very true. Um, I mean, is JetBlue, what's JetBlue's routes for these? Is it going to be all East Coast, Florida type stuff? So far, it's Boston, Tampa, and Boston, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and they actually, they took delivery of the second one, I want to say on Wednesday, right after uh, the first one flew. So that oh, was okay. uh, interesting. But they their schedule for them, I think in July, adds the second one, which gives them enough time. They're actually doing the Wi-Fi installs themselves now, which is kind of cool. Um, and they have to install all the IFE stuff, I believe, also. So, like, it takes a little bit of time to actually get them into service post-delivery. But they're they're pushing through with that. The IFE system, though, actually, I've never been, you know, had a tweet, quote, tweeted 150 or 200 times, and it happened on this trip. And that was a little surprising to me. There's a lot of people really, really upset about the personalization feature built into the IFE. Talk, and, talk more about this. What's the personalization? So when you sit down at your seat, the screen says, you know, welcome or, or hola, right? You can have English or Spanish. Mm-hmm. And you click the button, and it says, Hi, Seth. And it puts your name on the screen. And if, if it's an unassigned seat, or they don't have the right information, it just says, like, hi, seat number. Fine. But I took a picture of one of the other passengers who genuinely seemed happy about this being there. She was an older woman, but she was like, oh, this is cute, and stopped to take a photo of it herself. Like, she started to tap through it. It was like, wait, 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 and actually got her phone out to take a picture of it herself, which is why it was on the screen long enough for me to get a picture of her doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole lot of people that I will say rightfully note that there's a privacy issue here, right? If you're any number of different categories of people where your name isn't your real name or you know, whatever your legal name isn't the name you go by or isn't something that you like having particularly shared about um, or isn't the name, you know, whatever. There's a lot of good reasons for that not to be public information from the creepy seatmate next to you to uh, name changes in progress that haven't been fully affected legally yet to whatever else. And I get all those things. It's something I don't think about very often, um, but I get all those things and think it's very real concerns. Uh, and then there's the other factor, which is, like, okay, so if I give you, I say, yes, this is Seth. It says, please give me your last name and your date of birth to confirm it's really you. And that you agree to our privacy policy, which clearly no one is actually going to review on the IFE screen. And then who knows what the hell they're doing with whatever data they collected, but I'm pretty sure they're selling it. So, like, how is that good for me as a passenger? And what I've, I've spent some time on Twitter trying to come up with, like, use cases with other people of why would I as a consumer want this to happen? 
And certainly, you know, I guess knowing about it is better than them just doing it anyways, which they could, right? They could assume that I don't switch seats and the noise within the data will be small enough, infrequent enough that it's probably good enough. But like, why do I want this as a consumer? What good do I get from it? And Mm -hmm. I'm still not sure there's a good answer. Foss, you sounded like you have thoughts. Well, I mean, is there any, like 90% of the data is collected for no good use. Right. Everybody, we live in this world where everybody believes personalization carries a lot of value, but no one ever factors in the other aspect of it. And like, so I sort of get if you're, right, Amazon does a decent job with personalization, right? It's gotten worse, I would say, of late. And I'll be honest, I haven't used Amazon for shopping in probably a year now, but it had gotten pretty bad because they were taking a different approach to what they were marketing, where they weren't giving you what you were looking for. They were giving you what they wanted to sell as results. But there, there was some effort being done there that sort of worked. Netflix sort of does better at recommending, like, the next movie to watch. But those are both in a private forum, right? They're not Well, being- so, right, yes. You, those you're dealing with at home or on your own screen, not on something, right? Like, if I logged in to my laptop and it says, hi, Seth, because, you know, it, it has my picture on it because that's how Windows works. Like, but at least that's my computer and I choose whether it's there or not. So, but again, like even on the plane, would I be happy that I'm, is it worth it for me to get better movie recommendations on a plane? I don't know. Like the, the one use case I came up with was like, if I'm on a connecting flight and I land and I'm halfway through a movie, when I sit down on the next plane, it could say, hi, Seth, do you want to resume watching that movie? And I don't have to go find the movie again and fast forward and whatever. And I could just pick up where I left off. That use case doesn't exist yet, but that's the one I could come up with. I mean, what, what's JetBlue doing with it now? Is it just to say, welcome on board or are they doing anything else? As best I can tell, it is just welcome on board. Um, yeah. Right? They also have historically, if you want to use FlyFi, which is free, it's their Wi-Fi service. You can log in to your True Blue account, and if you and they were using that basically as a way to try to get people to sign up for True Blue, among other things. Right? So if you logged into your account and then went and shopped on Amazon, they would give you points for your shopping as like an affiliate click-through link. For a long time, they actually offered it on the ground also, but that evaporated uh, pretty quickly, so it's only available in the air now. But uh, that's like they're collecting some data about you, so presumably this is additional information that they can tie into that, but like, what can they collect about me? They know that I sat in a window seat, they know I flew to Boston, Boston to Tampa, and they knew what movie I watched. Yeah, but uh, over time, that's valuable data. Crazy Rich Asians, for those you're curious about. Yeah, but don't they? But don't they know that stuff anyway, Foz? They knew two like, of the three already. Not not the movie part, right? The movie starts yeah. defining your personality. True, true, true. They, and at some point, if they start pushing ordering through the screen, then they will also know what you like to consume. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, and actually, the London flights you're going to order your dinner through the screen. So right. So if they know that I like eating chicken more than beef on red eye flights, and that I watch Crazy Rich Asians far more often than anyone probably ever should, what are they going to try to sell me? Tickets to Singapore? <laughs> in a satay, in a satay home, cook at home kit? I don't exactly. know. Right? Like, but it, and so I get it, right? That's that's the, 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 that's the holy grail of, like, targeted marketing. We know exactly what you're going to buy. And so instead of guessing and getting, like, a 3% success rate, we'll actually know and get a 30 or 60% success rate and higher margins, blah, blah, blah. I get all of that from the advertising perspective. I just don't think anyone can actually deliver on it now. And in the meantime... As you said, you know, you said 90% pause. I think the number might even be higher than that. Like, we're, we're giving up and or the airlines are trying to collect massive more amounts of data that's not going to deliver on that. And I, I, I struggle to think it's worth it. But the data is probably not so valuable to the airline directly. It is probably valuable to the people they are selling it to. All the more reason I would like to at least get paid for that. Right? Like, right. So what value do I get from that? Is like the fares are cheaper. Fine. But not really. 
Yeah, but think about it, right? It goes much bit further, right? When you log into FiFi or so, something, right? They, your phone is presumably nearby. If they have a Bluetooth beacon, they can see where your, which device is likely yours. And after a few flights, they can establish that this is your phone. Then once they've got the device identifier from that, every app you have installed will be able to figure out where you've been. If you walk up a street in New York, they'll be able to map all of your footsteps, right? This is what stuff that's already happening. And now they also take all that data, and now they've overlaid your travel patterns and your consumption habits. Yeah, and that location data is usually sold on by the carrier. Yeah. For- Not even. it's in The Bluetooth stuff is all the beacons that Google's collecting on all those free kiosks. Well, some of the carrier, not all the carriers sell that data, but some of some of them do. But the blue, the Bluetooth is one of the most dangerous things to keep on your phone because there's beacons in every store you walk into that will figure out that you're standing in front of the Tylenol aisle deciding what to buy. And over time, the goal is to start targeting the competitors' products for you. But isn't this like this is part of the reason like uh, Apple's starting to anonymize some of that data to where it can't like there's no identifier on. Okay, the and they were rotating though. MAC addresses also at one point. Yeah. That's part of the reason some of that stuff's coming. Is it enough? It's probably too late. The very fact that Apple took away the discoverable, turn off the discovery of a Bluetooth device shows that they're in it. Mm-hmm. Right? In the early versions of iOS and the early versions of Android, you could say only make it discoverable for 30 seconds. They took that away. They've not put it back for years. That pretty much says that they are part of that. They need to feed that marketing ecosystem. They say all this stuff about privacy, and they do a few things here and there, but at the end of, at the, end of the day, they, they don't do enough. Um, like one thing I was thinking about, Seth, was that I think would be a cool, like, little implementation for this on the plane, at least, is if they know who you are, right? And you're sitting, and you confirm you're Seth, and you're sitting in this seat. Um, and I know you have a connection, like, and you're not familiar with Boston Airport because you don't. I know you don't fly through there a lot. Showing you where your next gate is, you know, it's going to be a ten minute walk. Here's the restaurants in between before yeah. you get off the plane. I think that's cool. That uh, would be, and and so that, that's getting more towards a good use case as well. There is a here's connections mm-hmm. option. Uh, Interestingly, it showed all the JetBlue departures and American departures at the next airport. So they're clearly playing into that partnership a little more. But when I clicked the you know d- d- uh, connections button on the screen, it just gave me all the JetBlue and American departures from Boston, from Tampa because I was flying to gotcha. Tampa. So, but yes, right. Like, and in the app, there actually is an option for this is your next flight. This is how to walk there. These are food options you can order, and it depends on the airport how much of that is integrated. And different airlines are doing different levels of that um yeah united united does that united has some of it and it's i think united is also using uh it was used to be called grab i think it's called divi now or I mess, maybe oh I yeah for the, ordering, uh, for the ordering for the ordering and i actually know the guys behind that company it's really pretty slick tech um and a great product so i i i'm a big fan of that level of usage but that's based on information that you would expect the companies to know about you well, it's you know I, what I keep thinking back to is this is probably more than a decade ago now. Uh, a father got really really mad at Target when they started advertising maternity things to his daughter because Target's algorithm had determined she was pregnant based on stuff she was buying, and she had kept it hidden from her father because she's like a teenager and still living at home. And he went into the store and like raised holy hell, and then the daughter was like, uh, uh, actually, uh, this is correct. Sorry. So right, I mean that it's. It comes down to the factor of, are these things that the company should know about me, or are they things where it's gotten, it's crossed that creepy line? Like, why do they know this? Or should, you know, whether it's true or not, should they know it and why? And that's where it becomes challenging. Well, I think what the airlines need to do, and not just airlines, every business, they should give you the ability of what you allow them to do with that data. And rather than a default on, it's a default off. Opt-in rather than opt-in. Right. But that breaks all the marketing algorithms, which is funding, you know, it's all, this is all a shell game around marketing dollars is the problem. Um, 
and that's and the, the whole reason that they don't want to do opt in is because it breaks that, and you then have to get people to opt in. Um, let's talk about another story: Sun Country, new routes. They're going to. It's be, not uh, just that they're launching new routes; is that they're trying to skip Minneapolis more and more. Yeah. So what's I mean, where where are the new routes? Let's t- tell us tell us what. <sighs> There's a bunch of different ones. I think it's 18 new routes, nine new, uh, five new airports, and nine airports in all that are involved. But Duluth and Rochester, Minnesota, which historically, not for that long, but have in recent months, years, been served by the bus service, the landline bus connection, mm-hmm. are now getting their own nonstop flights to Phoenix and Fort Myers. And so either people are so happy with Sun Country and we're so willing to take the bus that there's enough demand now that they can fill planes directly. And it's like two or three times a week, maybe four times a week. It's not every day and whatnot. And it's just for the winter season. But right, it, either there's been enough demand growth because Landline has worked or people were skipping the bus and Landline wasn't working. And now they need to they're going to fly directly because there is demand in those markets. And in a lot of cases, they'll now be the only nonstop provider. It could also be that there's enough demand out of those airports and i imagine the landing fees and airport fees are much lower at the yeah, secondary and, and they're gonna be the only provider so they'll capture more traffic and so i get it. it it makes some sense to me but also it's just a little interesting in some ways to see them skipping over uh minneapolis are they doing are they doing away with the bus no the bus is staying i figured because i mean they're still offering minneapolis there's a, to a bunch, bunch of other there. destinations yeah. there, right like um the other funny one to me is from Minneapolis, they're going to fly to both uh, Sky Harbor and Gateway Mesa in Phoenix. Hmm. They're going to be, if I, I believe, I'm trying to remember, I think they are the only U.S. carrier slated to serve both. WestJet actually serves both when it theoretically flies transporter again. It has, it has it on the schedule. Who knows what will actually fly? But I think they're going to be the only U.S. carrier that will end up serving both markets. Will Delta match? <laughs> Um, get your dartboard out and find out. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a really interesting to me to, you know, it's cool, fun lines, right? And there's either some other ones, uh, Milwaukee's getting some new flights, Madison, Wisconsin's getting some new flights. I think Milwaukee's up to five destinations now from Sun Country. Um, that's a mark. I, I'm surprised how many different nonstop destinations Milwaukee is going to have this, some, like, starting the summer into the winter. It's a lot, more than I expected. I wonder what the, the purpose of Mesa, I mean, I guess, because I mean, Mesa is only, like, what, half hour, maybe 45 minutes from downtown Phoenix? So I've been led to believe that it's for people with timeshares. Oh, uh, okay. More, it, if you're flying to both, right? It's, it's not business travelers, it's leisure and it's timeshare markets more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lower landing fees and all those other things. That is why, like, Allegiant uses it. But yeah, yeah. It's not, like Phoenix, would, it's not like Phoenix is a good airport. I doubt, I doubt Mesa is much better. <laughs> I imagine Mesa is easier because the rental cars are probably much closer. Oh, you, yeah, that's I mean, true. Right, the rental take the little train across to the, uh, the monorail thing or whatever. Do they have a monorail? Last time I flew into Phoenix, it was an awful bus service. In the- no, there's a, there's a train service over to the rental car center now. Um, it was at a, I think it was under repairs, but unlike Chicago, they actually finished it. Um, they finished it in Chicago. They just, they just don't keep on it. it. <laughs> is it actually fixed and they're just not using it? The track is done all the way to the rental car center. But it's not active? No. Like, what What does track is done mean? Like, I have seen it. I have seen cars move back and forth across it. Huh. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of crazy. This This is kind of, I mean, it's kind of wild that it's, they're going to fly both, but I get it. Yeah. I mean, if it's timeshares, I get it. Yeah, it was, it was just, some, you know, one of those quirky little fun routes, dots and lines. Yep, yep. Um, United has come out with some bonus options for frequent flyers. Uh, no, no, it's actually infrequent flyers. 
In so what, yeah. It's the ones who aren't flying. Yeah, for those of us who are still in the grass. So this is like three options that you can choose from. You can choose to get like a flat PQP bump up, it, which is the elite qualifying basically points. Uh, you can choose to get a uh, bonus for three flights, basically, up to a certain amount of elite qualifying. Or you can get a bonus of some number of redeemable miles. Um and so yeah, so if if you're going to fly before July twenty July twenty seventh is when it runs through, so it's ninety days from last week. Uh, they've got an option where they, so you've already gotten a twenty five percent bonus on your PQPs if you previously had status. Yeah. Um, what this is then doing is giving you another, I think it's fifteen percent up front towards that, and then if you when you take your first flight, and then with three total. Uh, earning flights, you get 25% again. So with just a couple flights, you can literally be halfway to requalification. Um, if you aren't going to fly by July 15th or 27th, sorry, July 27th, if you're not going to fly by then, they'll give you just another 10%. So you can get 35% of the way to your credits. Or if you use the Mileage Plus X app, which is their app for shopping affiliate referral stuff, speaking of huge data laundering and personalization details, um, you can get double points through that up to $10,000 worth of total points, bonus points earned. And so right for me, it's like I used to frequently and now somewhat infrequently use it for going to Home Depot because it's an extra penny, uh, an extra dollar a point or point to dollar spent. Right, You buy a gift card from Home Depot and then redeem that and you get the extra dollar, the extra point per dollar. Um, and some of them are more lucrative uh, depending on what the market is and how you know generous they're feeling. But it's an interesting uh, promotion. What was sort of surprising to me about it, though, is like I initially was like, wow, that's really generous for the elite earning. And then I realized that even I, I have a United flight booked for July, coming home from July 4th week, and I would earn the first of the payouts on that big earnings. It's definitely the wrong choice for me to take the PQPs or PQMs or whatever we're calling them. Just because you don't care about the PQPs or... Well, part of it is that I have million miler, um, mm-hmm. so I'm at gold no matter what. But I'm not going to fly enough this year to get to a higher tier. So why would I yeah. worry about that? Gotcha, um, Foz. What are you? What are you going to choose, Foz? I didn't get the option. You haven't gotten it? No. Are you you should, not, did you, you try to go to the link, link and see if you're targeted or not targeted? I haven't done that yet. But I yeah. it's not, it doesn't show up in my promotions thing. Well, I got an email and I just went to the website and it gave me the options. You've probably flown United too much. That's exactly why I said infrequent for flyer. <laughs> I got it. I don't know which one I'm going to do. I'll probably do the one that gives more bonuses for more flights or whatever. I don't. I, I hate the fact that they like make you make the user kind of do calculus to figure out which one's better for them. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's fine. I'll I'll probably do the one that's elite qualifying more than anything. So. Are you? Do you think you'll have enough flying in the back half of the year to make it worth it? I think so. Yeah, based on what I've heard. So we'll see. Yeah, you think see. work's going to pick back up? Yeah. Yep. Um, you can't go to Canada, so where are they going to send you? No, I, I'm not going to be going to Canada anymore, probably anyway. So where would they send me? A- anywhere else. So. <laughs> um, Real ID. Delayed again. <laughs> One of these days it's not going to be. Well, I mean, what's funny to me is, it, okay, so it's delayed until May of 2023 is when they're putting it off. Yeah, which is previously October 2021, so it's an 18-month delay. Yeah, and what's, ago, something like that. what's hilarious to me is, you know, Oregon has been lagging behind Real Idea for a long time. Um, and the DMV has actually asked people to stop requesting Real ID IDs because it requires them. They can't process them, and you have to come in to do it. Yeah. And there's other things that they're dealing with as far as that are more important than you getting your a real ID. Whereas they can renew a non real ID driver's license with an old photo. So 
it's just it's funny. I'm sure they probably push for it, uh, you know, a little bit. Um, I, yeah, it's it's just funny to me. At this it's, point, is I, there any real benefit to real ID? We clearly have lived without it for all these extra years. Benefit to whom? <laughs> Anyone. The government seems to think so, but well, it implies the government is applying logic here. Well, I mean, you know, people have to be citizens, you know, to, to get through an airport, right? I mean, anyway. Uh, Recent was, behaviors mm-hmm. would indicate otherwise, but we're not going to make this a political conversation. Well, no, I mean, I'm happy to go there because, like, I was, that was complete sarcasm. The same people who complain about illegal immigrants are the same ones, you know, buying fake COVID cards. So, anyway. Um, and if that pisses anybody off, you can stop listening. Anyway, um, Seth, you had a question for June. For June. Yeah, and this is you know a little bit about you're talking about your travel plans as well, but for work. But I have a potential work trip, and it's international travel, and for mid June, and I'm truly on the fence about whether I should go or not. I've done a bit of research, and it's St. Martin, so like, you know, tough job, tough gig. I know a week in St. Martin is what I would be signing up for. <laughs> um, but it's. I'm still not sure I should go. And it's, it, I mean, most of the stuff looks pretty good. The, I know I'm, I'm assuming I will still need a test to come home for the, even though I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I will probably need a test to go there, even though I'm fully vaccinated. Both countries still require those uh, for inbound arrivals. Uh, I can get the test here. It's, you know, that has to be within five days for the outbound and within three days for the return. The hotel in uh, St. Martin has testing four days a week in the lobby. So if I do a Thursday test, I'll have the results by Saturday morning and I can fly home Saturday afternoon on the nonstop flight. Um, so I, I, I sort of keep looking through the options and like logistically, I can I certainly can make it work. I've looked a little bit at the sort of testing environment or the vaccination environment on the island and sort of doses delivered versus number of people who live there and things like that. It's not perfect by any stretch. And it's not like Saba, which is next door where they've got 85 percent of the adults already vaccinated. I would like, I'd have zero trouble going there, given that, except, and I was actually looking, maybe I should, you know, spend a couple days there instead, but to do that, because they're different countries, I need a whole extra set of tests. Wow. Because I'm departing one country and entering another one, and they want the test and the timing and all of them wouldn't line up anymore. Like, my test to get into Saint, into Seba on Saturday wouldn't still be valid on Monday by the time I got back to St. Martin. So it's some weird little things like that make, you know, my normal travel style a little harder, but... You know, it comes back to our oft-discussed, you know, what is it? What would you take to, you know, what would it make, make sense for you to think it's safe to have more leisure-ish oriented travel? And I, it, it is work, um, but it's this one is more discretionary work than some of my other trips have been um, so far this year. And so I'm, I clearly want to do it. Um, I'm just still not sure it's right. Uh, and it's for a week? Yeah. Uh, three, days, three days of conference. I could shrink it down to, you know, a four or five day trip. It's hard because their flights are basically only in and out, you know, out, the, the flight times make it tough. And I either can take a 6 a.m. flight out of Boston, I can and connect somewhere, I can overnight somewhere en route, or I can fly two days earlier where there's a nonstop. That's at a normal time. So, so what's your what's your concerns? Is it is it safety of others, safety for yourself, all of the above, or just general you know lack of fun because you got to wear a mask all the time? And uh, more, I'm not going to be wearing a mask on the beach. Those tan lines would just not be sexy. Uh, <laughs> also, we've learned enough at this point that I, a, I don't expect the beach just to be crowded, and B, we've learned enough that outdoor. Yeah, yep, I, I agree with that. I'm just talking about just like generally yeah, in the I hotel know. and stuff like that. But no, I, I in the in the hotel in the I'm going to be in a conference room for three days, right? So like that's going to be I'm going to be wearing a mask that whole time. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, but and most of the other people there I assume will be at least partially vaccinated. But 
I think it's both from a sort of stress anxiety level and from a responsibility level, I think it's still appropriate to remain masked at this point. So that's a lot of time in a conference room trying to, you know, do business with a mask on. Also, but more to the point, it's just the overall sense of, is it, uh, you know, it's this sort of internal ethics conflict of supporting the tourism industries that need the money, and especially if I go a couple of days extra, uh, giving them some more money, versus is it safe for them? Is it, you know, what, what level of access have they had to vaccines? Can they be vaccinated? Are they vaccinated? Is it, you know, I'm probably not a carrier, but are the other people around also probably not given the stricter testing for arrivals there than in the United States? Mm-hmm. Um and now the U.S. does have testing, so some of the rules have changed a little. But, like, I just – I'm still not sure it's the right thing to do. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm leaning I mean, going, but it's – Go ahead, Foz. You were going to say something. I'm just of the opinion that we don't know how quickly things can change, so being out of the country yeah. is a risky proposition. Agreed. And the St. Martin's not too bad because you could get back reasonably quickly if you can get a flight. But yeah. the further you go, the more risk you have of not being able to get back. Yeah, and I will, I will say even, like – with India's challenges lately, the U.S. government, it's, you know, took a week to just, you know, two weeks to decide, okay, we're going to finally close things down and then even left a few days open. But that doesn't mean, you know, when they made the change, I'm sure that the few seats that were available filled up very quickly, um, right? So I'm not sure I would be able to necessarily get out immediately on the next available flight or on the next flight, right? Getting an available seat would be hard. But I also would like to think that if things start to go pear-shaped, I would just wouldn't go, like before, you see, you see it coming type thing. Yeah, I think I, I'd like to think I would see it coming a week out, right? I don't think there's going to suddenly be a sufficient flare up during the th- week that I'm there that the U.S. government's going to lock it down and say, "Oh wait, never mind, no St. Martin arrivals." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, so, I mean, just to give you my scenario. I'm looking at uh, so United starting up the Dubrovnik flight. And I'm looking at August to go to Croatia and again spend the time on the beach. Not a work trip, just for fun. Um, and it would require, I think it would require the testing coming back based on the EU rules. I don't think it requires the testing going. Um, and we'll just have to see what the EU does as far as that. But so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. It's one of those things where I would, I think I would buy, I would actually buy travel insurance um, just in case. Uh, but yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I don't, yeah, uh, And I have historically, I've had an annual travel insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Martin requires a COVID specific travel insurance plan. Um, as part of their entry, like you have to get a entry authorization and upload your testing results and all that stuff. So like I would do all that and I would probably historically my annual pat, my annual insurance hasn't been that expensive. I, I did let it lapse, but I would re up it and just start going again. But like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure, right? Like insurance is great, but that's not gonna, they're not going to pay for me to have a hotel there for a month. If I can't get back to the United States, like true, true, but that's not, but also like, that's an unreasonable risk definition that's that's just not gonna happen and i know that get on a boat sail back your two weeks will pass <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i so i'm i'm with you seth i don't i don't know the answer i'd probably if it was me i'd probably do it at this yeah. point like i think where we're at as far as vaccinations where they'll be by june you don't know you know like if you look at the rates you know will they be more vaccinated hopefully yeah one, um, one of the interesting things i saw there was because they're a dutch protectorate um or of sorts i don't remember the exact legal structure um but it's part of Europe. Uh, they are. They were asking more citizens to sign up for appointments so they could demonstrate that they needed more vaccine shipped in. Mm. So that was an interesting. Like they, they, you know, they have to show that they need it for it to show up. Yeah, yeah. So they need people to actually yeah. go and get them. So, it, 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 but yeah, I mean, they. Like I said, if Sabo just across the way, I think did everything right, and it's great to see them reopening. But even there, they're like, oh, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to quarantine anymore. You just have to prove you're vaccinated. And oh, by the way, if you're traveling from the United States, you still need a negative test, even though you're vaccinated. 
because we're still considered a high risk country. And and I think that's the one question you know that I've had I've had before is okay, so you get the test. Like, what about a false positive? Like, right? Like, I've been vaccinated. The odds of me getting COVID are, are very slim, right. um, but I can still get a I can still get a false positive test. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm stuck. Like that's what that's the I think that's the thing that scares me more than anything else is getting stuck because of that because there's not much you can do right. Like there's not you can't say oh but I'm vaccinated. It's it's well you got a false you got a you got a positive test you got to stay. Yeah. Or we're not going to let you on the flight. I say they won't. But I wonder if like, you know, what the turnaround, you know, if it's a same day or next day turnaround time, if I flying on Saturday, get the test on Thursday, if it comes back positive, can I get another one on Friday that comes back negative and be cool? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I just know what that rule is. Yeah, exactly. Um, two out of three. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it again. Do it again. No way, me, no way, me, no way. Stop. <laughs> so anyway, I, I am both because it's a good conference historically and because it's St. Martin and because I think it's getting to the point where it's more reasonable. I'm leaning towards going, but it's just still something I'm not. It isn't as easy a decision as historically it has been for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hear what our listeners think about either trip. So give us a, give us some feedback, folks. Um, last topic, uh, booking windows. What is what is this about? This isn't about window seats. No, but you should be booking those. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unless it's a window seat with no window. Yeah, I did that far more than I'd like to admit, which is like more than once, but still annoys me. Um, I had released some data uh, last week talking about advanced booking window. So how how many days prior to departure passengers are actually booking their flights? And they did a for April 2021 compared to April 2019. And... It was interesting to me. They showed worldwide. It's only for domestic data. Um, they have worldwide domestic flights and then China and the U.S. broken out separately. And I was intrigued that both in China and the U.S., the number of bookings zero to three days out has increased by about 3%. But it's still lower than I thought it would be. Um, and so within the United States, uh, it's 16% of passengers are booking less than 72 hours prior to departure. Uh, and 24% or quarter of passengers are booking less than a week out. And historically, those numbers were 13 and 8. So, uh, you know, just the 3% more. Um, China is the same thing. It's up 3%. Um, outside of those two countries, though, it's actually, on average, it's up 7%. So when you consider that China and the U.S. domestic markets are probably the biggest, um, both traditionally and especially right now, uh, the fact that, you know, 33% of domestic flights overall around the world are booked less than three days out basically means that around the rest of the world, a whole lot of people are only booking a few hours before departure. Wow. And you know, historically that's also been like, you know, meant higher yields and higher fares, but now that's not as much an issue. And so it's I, you know, part of that is, you know, as Foss has said, there's two things are very much in flux. And so you're never sure what the rules are going to be, but domestic travel is a little easier on the rules. Um, but beyond that, it's still just like, is it a good idea to travel? Am I going to go right now? I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, but it is and it isn't, right? That even domestic travel in places coming to places like New York three months ago was very different than going to Florida. And so it's like the rules are even within the states, right? They are substantially different, and I think that has played into it as well. Like what, what people are willing to do or not do, uh, yeah. theoretically. And some states have had quarantine rules, whether they're enforced or you know. In theory, the United States has a quarantine rule for inbound international travel too. It's just not enforced. Yeah, but there's different levels of enforcement too, right? Up until what a few weeks ago, New York had the National Guard greeting every flight, whereas if you flew into Newark, there's nothing. And it depended on the airport. It was a couple of locals greeting my flight in Buffalo, not the National Guard, but but in, in New York City, right? 
But yes. I, I didn't fly into LaGuardia, so I don't know. Or JFK, I flew into Newark. <laughs> yeah. No, LaGuardia and JFK, my understanding, was the National Guard. But yeah, but yeah. there was authorities always meeting the flights. But did they do anything beyond that, right? And I know that there was a point where, like, the they did start following up on some of the quarantine, you know, going to hotels and seeing if you were still there or not. But I think it was it was limited and rare. Yeah, but the very fact that there's a paper trail at that point, right? There, yeah. you, you're, you're part of that paper trail, and that's the you, problem. You, you could be blamed for not doing it, uh, but that didn't mean, you know, if you cause trouble later, you could be blamed for it, but it didn't mean they were uh, kept you in the loop or kept you in, in control. Yeah, I just, I I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where I, with things so uncertain, I I thought about booking flights, and it, w- it would be like one of those, you know, weak notices or at, at the most if I was going to book something. So I can see people being uneasy about it all. Interesting stuff. Um, on the after show, on the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Vistara, uh, and we are going to talk a little bit about um, a bomb threat. And when is it? What do you do during a bomb threat during COVID? Duck and cover. Uh, duck and cover, yeah. So you can, uh, if you'd like to get access to that, you can uh, support us on uh, Patreon for, for our non-subscribers on Patreon. Uh, but you know, either way, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Dots Lines, more dots, more lines.com. Uh, and yeah, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you next time.